page 38 in session number five in just a bit. But prior to launching into the lesson, I want to remind you of some things that are coming up and then um, review as quickly as I can where we've been and then we'll launch into page 38 and session five. Here are some of the things that are coming up on the 17th of March. Next month, the 17th, we're having our family ice skating, and we encourage you all to come to the Icebox Arena on Telegraph in Brownstown. We always have a good time with that. And uh, for that, you need a wristband. Uh, That's your entry ticket, and those wristbands are available at the Resource Center. They're $3, and that includes skate rental as well. So it's actually a pretty good deal, and we've got a couple hours of open skating there. So that'll be on Saturday afternoon, the 17th from 2 to 4, and you can get the wristbands for $3 each. That includes skate rental over at the Resource Center. The 25th of March is our next baptism. So for those of you who have never been baptized, if you want to obey Jesus, then you need to be. Uh, It's as straightforward as that. Jesus says you need to be baptized. And he says, my followers, my disciples demonstrate that they are followers of mine first by being baptized and then they're taught they learn everything that I have said you are to obey and then they seek to do that in their lives but a first step in obedience is baptism says Jesus and baptism means that you signify that you believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ when you're immersed in water that's what biblical New Testament baptism is all of the baptisms that were performed in the New Testament were done that way. You go into the water, they're brought up out of the water, that's the way it was done, okay? So that's what baptism is. If that's never happened to you then, then you've never been uh, baptized the way the Bible describes and you need to be. And we would love for you to participate then on the 25th, but there are some requirements for that. You have to be someone who has come to Christ and who has devoted your life to following Christ. And I'd like to explain that to you. So I would like to sit down with you explain that to you. If there's some things about it you don't understand, that's why we're here, is to help, help you understand. So see me when you leave today and say, let's get together at a time of your convenience and we'll, uh, we'll go through that. But that's our next baptism on the uh, 25th. So the sooner you see me, the, the better. And then coming up in April, we have a number of things going on. April 1, we begin two four-week classes for folks that are newcomers to our church and then folks who are new members of our church. Both of those will go on for four weeks simultaneously during this hour. I'll lead the newcomers orientation. Pastor Matt leads the new members class. Newcomers is for those who are new to our church and who would like to know more about it. And so we offer that four weeks to give you a a good amount of information about who we are and where we've come from and what we believe and what our philosophy is and what we hope to be used of God to do in the future. Uh, And it is no obligation to you. I know people say that, including preachers, and they don't mean it, but I mean it, okay? There's no obligation, okay? And you take the class, and then you decide the fourth week. I then say, okay, now that you've had this, you know, it's the ball's in your court. And I say, these are the options for you, but you won't hear from me after that. So I don't come knocking on your door and saying, okay, now what? What do you want to do? Any of that, okay? And our folks here who have gone through that can attest to, to that. Uh, So I would encourage you to take that, those four weeks, so that you learn about uh, our church and it'll help you make a decision prayerfully about whether this is the place that God would have you to serve. For those of you that have made that decision, you've recently joined the church, we offer the new uh, members class, and Pastor Matt will take those four weeks to go into uh, deeper detail 
about uh, our church and how it functions and how you can get assimilated uh, into that and use your gifts and abilities to serve the, the Lord here. So both of those will be going on beginning uh, April 1 during this hour. The following week is Easter, April 8th is Easter, and on Easter uh, we reverse our uh, services. So that week it'll be educational hour first, then, then worship. We try to confuse you. It's our, that's our goal in life is to make, make everybody confused. And then the following two weeks it'll be back to the normal order, okay? So April 1, 8, 15, and 22 for those uh, two classes. Also on April 1, uh, that evening from 4.30 to 8 is our Servants Seminar. Every year uh, in March, April time frame, we have what we call our Servants Seminar for several hours, uh, and we invite all who are members of our church. If you're not a member of our church but you just want to come, we'd love to have you. But we use that time to look forward now to the rest of the year and see what objectives we together are going to try to accomplish in the Lord's work. So it's a, it's a very important time for our church family, and I encourage you to mark it down April 1, Sunday evening, 4.30 to 8 o'clock at the Westfield Activity Center in Trenton. That's behind the Trenton Library on West Road. So mark that down, if you will. Now, usually we offer that same thing twice. So if you can't make the one, you can make the other. But this year we can't do that because uh, the time frame for our servant seminars falls exactly on the time frame for our decision regarding purchase of a ministry center, an elementary school that many of you know we're thinking about buying to be our permanent location for ministry. And our due diligence period ends the weekend of April 15. So we were going to have our servant seminars on April 1 and April 15. Same thing offered twice like we always do. But April 15 now is going to be a congregational meeting, a family meeting. For us to discuss any last details with regard to the project, answer any last questions, but we as a congregation will vote on whether we want to make the purchase that weekend, April the 15th. So we'll have the servant seminar once, April 1, and then on April 15 in the afternoon, we will have our, our congregational meeting. So mark those two down. They're very important for our church. The April 1 uh, servant seminar will be devoted to uh, an update on the uh, ministry center project, answering some more questions, but also in anticipation of, of going there and approving it and moving in later in the year, uh, I'm going to devote about half of that servant seminar to things that we need to look for and expect when we move into a new facility. Because believe it or not, there's a bunch, there's stuff that changes. And if you don't think about it, then you go in and that stuff changes and then you're taken aback. And you say, you know, I used to see the pastor in that hallway every week. And I haven't seen that guy for three weeks. The only time I see him is when he's up there yapping. So doesn't he love me anymore? And that's because there are different entryways. And you're coming in a different one or going out a different one. And we're not crossing paths the same way we used to. Now, we'll try to fix that. But you get the point that you'll, you now have fixed ways that you come in and come out. You see people. And it might be different just because the physical plant is different. And people get taken aback by those things. So we have to think about them ahead of time. The more we know about those kinds of things ahead of time, the better off we'll, we'll be. Okay, So I'm going to talk about a number of those kinds of things at the Servant Seminar on April 1. April 1, April 15, mark both of those. Now, before that, we've got this ministry center fund. If we're actually going to vote to approve uh, purchase of this building... Most of you know that we need to garner some funds between now and that time. 
and we have set a date of March 18. So four Sundays from today, we have set to know whether or not we uh, have been able to have committed enough funds for us to move forward on that. So that is already starting. Folks uh, uh, that are members of our church are taking the ministry fund card, ministry center fund card that was inserted in your program last week, again this week, and will be for the next three Sundays. And on that, just indicating uh, what you'll be able to contribute to that. You're not contributing any money because we have to vote first. The money won't come until probably about May uh, when we close on the building. But we need to know if we have the money committed. And that's what we're asking our church family to do then. Each family in our church, consider prayerfully uh, what you are able to do. And we're asking each family to participate. And we're asking you to participate to the greatest extent that you are able. Those two things. And I keep saying, and I will say for the next three weeks, I won't know what that is. Our policy is for me not to see who gives. I won't see this stuff. Our pastoral staff never sees that. Just the people who count our money will see that. And when you do, if we move forward, give the money, they'll be the only ones who see that as well. So you don't have to worry about, you know, me. Uh, You shouldn't be anyway, but don't worry about being embarrassed or anything like that with regard to me or anybody else. Just before the Lord, prayerfully consider what you're able to do, and then we'll see if we're able to move ahead with it. And if we are, praise the Lord. And if we're not, we'll still praise the Lord, and we'll move ahead uh, here and into a different place in the, in the future. But for now, this is the one we have. We're going to try all that we can to make it happen, and uh, let's see over the next uh, few weeks if it does. Now, did everybody get what I said then? Every family, to the greatest extent you are able, the greatest extent you're able could be anything, right? So I just want to make it clear that I am not saying, you know, that if you, if you, can, if you can give, you know, a small amount, then, then don't, even, don't even bother. <laughs> I don't think that, and I don't believe I've ever said that, but it's actually come to my attention that some people think I've said that. So I don't know. You know, when you're public speaking, you just say, I wish everything was recorded. The, the announcements are not recorded. What I'm saying right now is recorded. The announcements are not recorded. But I choose my words really carefully. And uh, I do not think that for a moment. And I certainly have not said that or certainly have not tried to imply that. We want every family to participate to whatever extent you are able to do that. And we're asking you to do that to the greatest extent that you're able. Right? We all good? So whatever that is, is between you and the Lord, and then we'll move forward from, from there, okay? All right. So those are our announcements. Keep those in mind. Let me quickly review then where we have been in our series, The Gospel-Centered Life. We have seen that for too many people, the gospel is simply something that they re- hear and acknowledge and accept at a point in the past. So for too many professing believers, the gospel is something that they're done with. I got saved because I, and I have a relationship with God because I heard the message that Christ died for my sins and that he was raised the third day. And I believe that. And, and when I believed that then, I received the gospel. But now, five years later or ten years later, I'm past the gospel, is the idea that many people have. It's a false idea. And so that false idea is seen in the grid that you see on page 38, the cross chart down at the bottom of page 38. And it shows a point in time for conversion, but then as you move forward in time, there should be a greater awareness of God's 
holiness and a greater awareness of your own sinfulness. But if you leave the gospel behind, the gap and the increasing gap between my awareness of God's holiness and my awareness of God's or and my own sinfulness that's depicted at the bottom of page 38. If you leave the gospel behind, then that gap is going to be filled with something other than the cross. The way it should work is that that increasing larger gap that's occurring should be filled by the cross becoming greater to me and seeing God's mercy and forgiveness in in the cross uh, in greater depth and greater uh, levels of appreciation for what Christ has, has done, in turn motivating me now to levels of holiness and Christ-likeness and growth. But if I, if I don't do that, if the cross remains to me what it was, then that gap is going to be filled by something else. And so we saw, beginning in Lesson 2, that many people fill the gap by uh, performing. Performing, that is... God's holiness, I'm becoming more aware of it, but the cross is not what's filling the gap between my sinfulness and God's holiness. My performance now has to do that. And so I have to live up to uh, certain standards, often man-made standards. So I perform to try to achieve the holiness that I'm becoming increasingly aware of that is God's character. Or, uh, and or, I may pretend... Because of my sinfulness, if the, God, if the cross is not filling that gap, then I'm going to pretend that I'm not as bad as I really am. That I'm better than what the Bible says I am, and frankly, what God know, and of course, what God knows I am. And so I pretend that I'm better. So I perform or I pretend. And that comes out then in ways I talk. In my, in my talk, I judge people because I've convinced myself I'm better than they are. Or if I'm trying to perform, I have to, I, I, I can't reach God's standard, but I feel like I have to because the cross isn't doing it. And so I need to, I need to downplay my failures. Or I need to blame shift my failures. So judging and downplaying and blame shifting, these are all manifestations from someone who does not fully appreciate the depth and the beauty of the cross that is central to the gospel. And if you find yourself doing those things, judging and downplaying and blame shifting, then be sure, dear friend, that you do not have a full appreciation of the cross of Christ. And I encourage you to continue to listen now over the next few weeks as we go through how a gospel-centered life looks as opposed to this performance and pretending approach. And as we try to perform now to meet God's holiness standard, what a fool's errand that is, <laughs> right? Because that ain't going to happen. But nonetheless, that's what we're trying to do. The cross isn't doing it. So I'm on the treadmill trying to perform. And as I do that, I develop rules and I become a legalist. That, that my acceptance before God is now going to be based upon rule-keeping. And that's, the term that, that's what's meant by the term legalist. That I've got this legalistic, rule-oriented, standard-oriented approach wherein lies my acceptance before God. Or 
I may say, you know, Brown, you're right. I can't do it, so I'm going to throw in the towel. And I'm not even going to pretend, and I'm not going to perform. Jesus saved me. Let's party. And so you're not a legalist. You're a libertine. Hey, I got liberty in Jesus. You know, break it out. Here we go. And the Bible actually addresses that, and we saw it last week. We saw that the Corinthians would say that very thing. They would say, all things are permissible for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses, verse 12. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. It's repeated twice, where they say, all things are lawful for me. They are libertines. They are licentious. I've got license to do whatever I want. So you have these two extremes, legalism or, or licentiousness, that many professing Christians uh, find themselves. And both of them are as a result of a false understanding of the centrality of the cross to, to the gospel. And how do you know if you're judging, if you're downplaying, if you're blame shifting, if you don't care, if you're constantly worried about your relationship with God? You haven't understood the cross. If when you sin, you believe that God has disowned you, you don't understand the cross. Because in the cross, the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins, past, past and present, and future is really important. And many people get the past part of it, but then they think, okay, now I'm on my own, and it's going to depend on how good I do. Well, you're not going to do very good. We already know this. Okay? You're going to do better, but you're not going to come close. And so if that's the case, we're all hopeless. But thankfully, the blood of Jesus covers not just my past sin, but my present and sin I haven't even committed yet, my future sin. And so it's not that I don't care about sin, but it's that I don't, I'm not concerned that my relationship with God is going to be eternally altered because I sin. But if you find yourself worrying about that because you have sinned, then you have not understood the cross that is central to the gospel. Now, what is the answer then to all of that? Page 38. Second paragraph, as we have seen, the consistent pattern of the Christian life is repentance and faith. We never stop needing to repent and believe. Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark are repent and believe in the Gospel. In the first of his 95 theses, Martin Luther observed, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And so my entire life now is to repent, but as we're going to see, it's primarily repenting of these false patterns of viewing the cross, repenting of my performing and my, and my pretending, as we will see. But before we look at what it is we're repenting of, let's make sure we understand what repentance itself is. The Greek word that's translated repentance is uh, this. It is a metanoia. It's a compound of two words, metanoia, meta. Uh, in English, sometimes we say metamorphosis. Meta means change. And the Greek word for mind in the New Testament is nous. And metanoia is a change of mind. 
So repentance, the word repentance, means a change of mind. Now, a change of mind about what and about who? It is a change of mind about God, righteousness, myself, and sin. Repentance is a change of mind about God, righteousness, about myself, and about sin. So I now have a radically altered perspective on God and His righteousness, His holiness. And I now have a radically altered view of myself and my own sinfulness. Remember what the two arrows were? An awareness of God's holiness, an awareness of my own sinfulness. And in repentance now, I have a radically altered view of both of those. It's what creates this increasing awareness of God's holiness and of my own, of my own sinfulness. But if I don't fill that gap the proper way, then I'll end up with a, with a false gospel pretending, repent, pretending performing, and, and so on. So that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind about God and righteousness, about myself and and sin. And you say in that it's said in that second paragraph, in repentance, we confess our tendency to shrink the cross through performance and pretending. We pull our affections away from false saviors, setting up our own standards, all of that, making ourselves look better than we are, and fraudulent sources of righteousness, and we turn to Jesus as our only hope. Now, it says in repentance, we confess. So repentance is change of mind about God and righteousness, myself and sin. What is confess? If I repent, if I have this radically altered perspective on God and myself, his righteousness and my sin, if I have that, then it will lead me to confess. So what does that mean? What's confess mean? Confess means this to say the same thing. That's what the word confess in the New Testament means. Say the same thing. So I repent. I have this changed, radically changed perspective that leads me now to confess or to say the same thing. Now, how does that relate to God's righteousness and my sinfulness? Here's how. I no longer pretend. I say what God says. I no longer try to, try to perform. I say what God says. I can't. He said that. He's been very clear about that. So I say the same thing about his righteousness and about my sinfulness that he says about it. So no downplaying, no blame shifting, no, as you guys have heard me say many times, no weasel words. We engage in weasel words. The reason that we in our interpersonal relationships cannot confess our sins to one another as James 5 tells us to do. Confess our sins to one another. If I sin against you, then I need to confess what I did. And I need to say what God says about it. No weasel words. So I don't come and say, I'm sorry if you didn't understand. Oh, there, now there's, there's a weasel for you. I'm, so, you know, I'm sorry that you're so dense. Right? 
And I have said this to you guys a number of times, and I believe it would be very healthy for you to practice, for us to practice. Sorry is for accidents. Forgiveness is for sin. Say you're sorry if something happened that you regret, but it was an accident. That happens. I'm sorry I bumped into you. You know, I don't mean, <laughs> I mean if I ran into you, you know, if I bumped you, I, I say I'm sorry. Excuse me. It's an accident. Um, so if an accident occurs that affects you, then I need to say I'm sorry about it. I didn't necessarily sin in it. Say you're sorry. But if I have sinned against you, if I have said hurtful words to you, if I have responded to you in anger, then I need to say that. I say, I responded sinfully to you in what I said. Will you forgive me? That's what we do. No weasel words. That's what, what confession is now. Why, why are we such weasels? We. Why do we tend toward that? Here's why. We think we have to cover it because we fail to appreciate the fact that Jesus has covered it. If you don't, if you don't fully appreciate that Jesus has covered what you have done and what you will do, then you'll find yourself being a weasel. But if you are fully confident and thankful and grateful to God for the fact that Jesus has covered my tendency to say hurtful things, my sinful responses and my anger, now I can own up to it because Jesus has covered it. Jesus died for it. I don't feel good about it, but I can own up to it. I don't have to downplay it. I don't have to blame shift it. I can come and say, you know, I'm, as I said last week, just a big fat sack of sin. And here's the way my sin has manifested itself in this particular situation. And I spoke to you in this way. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Now, friends, that kind of thing ought to go on in our relationships regularly. We sin against each other regularly. And those of us who say we believe the gospel and say that Jesus has covered our sin need to stop trying to cover it ourselves. You're not gonna, you really are not going to shock anybody by admitting that you're a sinner. I mean, you shouldn't be shocking anybody in here. That's not a newsflash. We already know this about each other. And God knows it about us. So let's say the same thing God says about it then. I'll move on in a second. But how, how much better would our homes be if this went on regularly? If you have more than one child, I mean, you know what Bill Cosby says, if you only have one child, you're not a parent. Because you know who did it. <laughs> But if you have more than one kid, you know, he started it, she started it, you know, and then it's like, what do you do? I've got to be omniscient to figure this thing out. But there'll be enough offenses that go on between those siblings. And enough offenses that go on between those siblings' parents that there should be regular seeking and granting of forgiveness in the gospel. And that they learn that as the habit of this home. This is what we do. 
I said this to you, I'm asking you to forgive me. And it would be very good if they heard that from your lips as a parent. To them. And if they saw you do something to their mom or dad, then they should hear that. If they witnessed it, then they should hear it. How much better would our homes be if that happened? And I will just say, and now I'm shutting up. Homes like that don't continue to move apart. Homes that fail to do that are in grave danger of continuing to drift apart. Grave danger. You, don't, you do not arrive at the point of separation and divorce overnight. It's over a long pattern of failure to practice the gospel in our interpersonal relationships. If you have that opportunity in your, in your home, thank Jesus for that. And I'm telling you, dear friend, practice the gospel in your house. Practice it with your kids. Practice it with your spouse. Now, it's possible to engage in false repentance. And that's what the bottom of page 38 says. On the surface, repentance seems simple and straightforward, but it's not. Because our hearts are a factory of idols, as John Calvin put it. And so repentance can become a vehicle for sin and selfishness. We are skilled practitioners of false repentance. One of our greatest needs in gospel-centered living is to understand repentance accurately and biblically. For most, repentance has this negative connotation. We only repent when we do something really bad. The Roman Catholic idea of penance bleeds into our thinking. When we sin, we should feel really sorry about it, beat ourselves up over it, and do something to make up for it. In other words, repentance often becomes more about us than about God or the people we've sinned against. We want to feel better. We want things to be back to normal. We want to know we've done our part so that our guilt is assuaged and we can move on with life. Now, isn't that absolutely true? How many times have you said or has somebody said to you, well, let's just forget about it, let's just move on? Okay, you know, you hit me in the face, I'm still bleeding, but yeah, let's move on. Let's forget about it. It's in the past, let's let bygones be bygones. Why don't, we, why don't we deal with it the way Jesus says to deal with it? Put it in the past that way. But we don't want to own up to it, and so we have this half-measure, false, semi-repentance that says, let's just forget about it. Or, I've heard this one many times. Well, we both said some hurtful things. Well, here would be the cool thing. Why don't you deal with the hurtful things you said? And then let me deal with the hurtful things I said. Well, we both said some hurtful things, so let's just move on. That's not repenting. That's not confessing, seeking of forgiveness. And yet it goes on all the time. These are, these are examples of false repentance. Now, I gave you at least one reason why we do this, why we do the weasel words, why we fail to own up to it. It's because we haven't fully appreciated the fact that Jesus has covered it, so we try to cover it in our performing and in our pretending. It comes out in our words. But here's the other thing. The reason we do this stuff, well, let's just forget about it. Let's just move on. Let's not fully confess and repent and seek forgiveness. The reason that we do that is because we don't see conviction of sin 
as a good thing. We fail to see conviction of sin as a good thing. Think about it. If I'm a performer, I want my performance to be seen as A1, top-notch. And it's not good for me, I don't think, if I have flaws, and certainly for people to point out those flaws. I'm performing and I want my performance to be seen as good, even if in actuality it's not. And so we don't see the exposure of the flaws, the exposure of the sin, the conviction of sin. We don't see it as a good thing. When in fact it's a marvelous thing. For, and think about it in other realms. How many people have rejoiced and thanked God when they've come home from a doctor's appointment and they had a doctor astute enough to say, you've got the beginnings of colon cancer, but we've caught it at an early stage. If we, if we let it go, if it had gone for another two years, it would be in an advanced stage, but we've caught it at an early stage. We can treat it. Thank God that I had a doctor who exposed that, Right? And yet, or if I'm, if I'm groping around in the darkness, I'm lost. How thankful would I be for shedding some light on the situation? That's the way we need to think about our sin. Oh, Lord God, do this good thing in me by shedding light upon my heart and convicting me of my sin. It's a good thing because it is the way in which I see my next step in becoming more like Jesus. Without that, I don't get there. Without that, I don't advance in Christ's likeness. If my goal is to please Him, to become more like Him, then I consider it a good thing for my sin to be exposed and for it to be dealt with. And so if I sin against you, you confront me with that. If I've truly sinned against you, it should be a, an embrace of that, not hiding from it, not weasel words. But part of the reason we do this is because we fail to see conviction as a good thing in our spiritual walk. Now, bottom of page 39. Oh, middle of page 39. Think about a relationship in which you've spoken hurtful words. Perhaps your effort or repentance sounded something like... Effort at repentance sounded like this. I'm sorry I hurt you. I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? But is it really true repentance? Does our sin consist only in the words we've spoken? Didn't Jesus say out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks? Though we may have acknowledged our hurtful words, the other person is often feeling the impact of the deeper resentment, anger, envy, bitterness that lies in our hearts. Unless we confess those sins as well, our repentance is not real. How do we start to identify our tendencies toward false repentance? Look for patterns of remorse and resolution. Remorse is this, I can't believe I did that. And resolution says, I promise to do better next time. And both of them represent two misunderstandings. First, we think too highly of ourselves. We do not truly believe the depth of our sin and brokenness. That is that bottom line on the gospel grid. 
This leads us to react in surprise when sin manifests itself. I can't believe I did that. That's not what I'm really like. No, it really is what you're like. And what I'm like. But we don't want to see it. And we don't think of ourselves that way. We haven't truly repented in our view of ourselves and our sin. So there's this remorse approach. And then secondly, we think we have the power to change ourselves. We think if we make resolutions or try harder next time, we're going to be able to fix the problem. These patterns of, one, remorse, and two, resolution, taint our attitudes toward others as well. Because we think so highly of ourselves, we respond to others' sin with harshness and disapproval. We're very lenient toward our own sin, but we resent theirs. And because we think we can change ourselves, we're frustrated when other people aren't changing themselves faster. Judgmental, impatient, critical. Now, if any of those three words describe you, then at its heart, this is what's going on. The gospel calls us to and empowers us for true repentance. True repentance is oriented toward God and not to me. David in Psalm 51, against you and you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's motivated by true godly desire and not just selfish regret, 2 Corinthians 7. It's concerned with the heart, not just the external actions. you all see that? that I'm recognizing that what I said and what I did is actually a manifestation of what's in my heart. And it looks to Jesus for deliverance from the penalty and power of sin. Without Jesus, without the cross, I'm dead. But because of Jesus and because of the cross, I can own up to where I am in my Christian walk. And I don't have to do the weasel words and hide it. Instead of excusing, last paragraph there, or falling into patterns of remorse and resolution, true gospel repentance moves us to realize and repent. Realize, I did do that. This is what I'm like. And repent, Lord, forgive me. You're my only hope. As we learn to live in light of the gospel, this kind of true repentance should become more and more normal. Stop being surprised by our sin, and so we'll be able to more honestly admit it. And stop believing we can fix ourselves, so we're more quick, we more quickly turn to Jesus for forgiveness and transformation. Sin is a condition, not just a behavior. So true repentance is a lifestyle, not just an occasional practice. Repentance is not something we do only once, that is when we're converted, or only periodically when we feel really guilty. It's ongoing, and conviction of sin is a mark of God's fatherly love for us. Those whom I love, I rebuke, that is convict and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, in our concluding moments, I want you to look at page 42 and the practicing of this repentance. And let's take a few minutes to look at these kinds of things that we say. And I think they are convicting because everybody here has said one or more of these, including me. Well, I was just being honest. What that means is, can't you handle the truth? I'm just saying what I feel. 
In other words, there's nothing sinful about my feelings that needs to be monitored, filtered. If I feel it, it's okay to say it. Because I feel it, and not me. I was only kidding. Eh, maybe. So even if I was kidding, you're too dense to get it. And sometimes I really wasn't kidding. I was trying to stick the knife in. Well, I misunderstood you. So you're not as crazy as I thought you were. You misunderstood me. I'm not as bad as you think. That's just who I am. This is one of my favorites. Well, that's just who I am. That's just what I'm like. See, here's the thing. Who I am and what I'm like need repair. Right? So the idea that I would say, well, that's just, that's just me, and then just blow it off, is to say, I'm here and I don't need to get there. That's not true of anybody. The only person for whom that's true is Jesus himself. So that I am like that is not the solution to anything. Yeah, I'm like that, and this is the particular struggle I have. But thankfully, Jesus is at work in my life. And I want to increasingly see progress on that. I made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I didn't mean to do it, which means I didn't mean to get caught. I'm just having a bad day. You know, if God would have known all the circumstances that were going to come my way today, then I wouldn't have reacted that way. Oh, that's right. He does know all the circumstances that came my way. And only knows them, he planned them, and he placed me in them to grow in Jesus. So the idea that I'm, I'm just having a bad day is not an excuse for me or any of us. Now, dear friends, I, I wanted to go through those because I can identify with several of those for myself. And my guess is you can identify with several for yourself. Now, that's convicting, but we're going to end with a reminder that this conviction is done for a good reason. It shows us, it exposes to us where the cross needs to be applied in our lives. So let's not do the weasel words, let's not perform, let's not pretend. Let's apply the cross of Jesus to those areas of our lives that our gracious and good God has rebuked us of so that we can be more like Jesus. Let's pray together.